everyone, and welcome to the Fact Checker Podcast. Uh, my name's Michaela Ram. I cover healthcare for the Gazette. I'm Erin Jordan. I'm an investigative reporter. And I'm John Steppe, and I'm the business reporter. And, and we're short. <laughs> we're short one for now. Marissa, our, our value team member, Marissa Payne, is also on, but she could not be part of this introductory part because she is taking a call for a very important story she's working on. So we will get started without her, and she will join us when she is able. But I think we'll have an interesting fact check today um, from Governor Kim Reynolds, a claim that she made this past week regarding uh, the resurgence of COVID-19 cases happening nationwide. And uh, she made it an issue at the border. Uh, so we'll take a look at that today. Um, so for context, so this past week, Governor Reynolds, um, she was uh, hosting a press conference in Des Moines, and she uh, said that COVID-19 cases raising nationwide um, was part of the problem of immigration at the southern border. Um, she said that uh, she was concerned that migrants crossing the border at the U.S.-Mexico border uh, were unvaccinated and traveling across the country. Um, and she's, you know, kind of pointed to additional restrictions we're placing on America and s- essentially stating that uh, that issue also needed to be looked at if we were going to be getting a handle on this resurgence in new cases. Um, and I reached out to uh, the governor's office just kind of for more context, just FYI. And uh, Pat Garrett, who is the governor's office spokesman, said that she was speaking about uh, the concern of the spread nationwide, not just in Iowa. So kind of that framework in mind as we kind of move ahead. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll get right into it and we'll take a look at whether migrants who are unvaccinated are a factor in the ongoing pandemic. So just for background as well, Governor Reynolds is really not the first political figure to raise this concern. I mean, there are plenty of lawmakers, congressmen, the governor in Texas who have been raising this issue all along and sort of pointing to um, overcrowding at the border as a concern in this pandemic. Um, and so there there have been other statements made, but we'll just take a look at Governor Reynolds specifically. Um, in response to the uh, fact checkers request for sourcing, this is something our team does. We reach out to whoever's making the claim for context, for background, just sort of where they're getting this information from when they're making this claim. Um, and the governor's office provided uh, different articles, but they also provided two articles from Fox News, uh, including one report that uh, about 135 detainees tested positive for COVID-19 in the first two weeks of July. Now, that's not really a surprise at this point. Uh, we are seeing as I said before, resurgence of new COVID-19 cases nationwide, um, which are spurred on really by this new highly contagious Delta variant, which experts are finding is way better at transmitting than other variants of the virus before. So based on the most recent data we have from this week, there are about 1,100 active COVID-19 cases across 51 U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Detention Facilities nationwide. So that's not counting just those at the southern border, but nationwide. Um, But I will say, though, we're seeing some of the worst outbreaks in facilities in the South, including Arizona, Texas, and Louisiana. Um, But just for context, those are also states with lower vaccination rates overall when you compare to the the rates nationwide. Um, In total, there have been about 19,000 COVID-19 cases in ICE facilities since the start of the pandemic. Again, we are seeing a record level of uh, children, families, and adults coming to the U.S.-Mexico border. So 
uh, there is that factor at play here. We are seeing a lot of people trying to cross into the United States at that border. Um, however, the vast majority are not making it across the border. A lot of them are being turned away at this time. Um, the data that I've found from uh, CPB, uh, border agents have encountered more than 188,000 individuals at the southern border uh, just in June 2021 alone. And and of those, roughly 178,000 were um, either expelled or they were inadmissible. So that means they, they did not cross the border or they were sent back into Mexico. And either way, we're unable to come into the United States. Um, and for the most part, a lot of those individuals are not crossing because of a thing called Title 42. So that is a public health policy that was instituted under the Trump administration to prevent migrants and asylum seekers from crossing the border because of concerns of the coronavirus. So, um, and that policy has been in place under the Biden administration as well. And the CDC has extended that use of Title 42 and um, the latest I saw that it'll be in effect until August 21, but the CDC does reassess that every 60 days. So if this trend continues, it's likely that we will continue to see that, um, that policy in place. Now, kind of going back into Reynolds' point, um, how many of these migrants are unvaccinated against COVID-19? We know vaccines are a huge issue at this point, especially as we're talking about the surface of these new cases. And from what I've been able to tell, reports show a limited number of migrants are unvaccinated at this time. Um, the latest data I saw from the Washington Post was that about 20,000 detainees in ICE custody have received at least one dose of the vaccine um, from border agents or from those agents. Unclear if those were Johnson & Johnson vaccines or if there were the two dose vaccines, but either way, they're getting at least one dose. Um, I saw other figures from early May that show just about 8,000 migrants got a, a vaccine dose. So numbers have varied, but I think it's agreed that a lot of these migrants are not getting the vaccine when they're coming to these facilities because immigration experts have criticized the Biden administration for its handling the vaccine rollout at these facilities. Um, you know, the Biden administration is really not directing ICE to play an active role in administering these shots. This effort has really been pushed on to state and local authorities. Um, and according to a Vox report I found, um, especially in red states where um, there's really not an appetite for prioritizing immigrants for these vaccine doses, it's not really being pushed in these facilities at all or encouraged for these individuals to get the vaccine. So really it goes back to the question, okay, so are these unvaccinated immigrants a factor in the spread of COVID-19 in the US, right? Um, really unclear what this means for Iowa specifically, um, but we'll just take a look at what this is playing nationally because Governor Reynolds was making these comments broadly rather than just about the state of Iowa. Um, you know, back in March, there was a public health official who told the Associated Press that he believed that immigration at the border was not the biggest factor in the spread of COVID-19 nationwide. Sure, it is a factor, but it's not the biggest source of new infections. However, I will say he made these comments back in March before the highly contagious Delta variant was really a thing in the US or really before it started spreading widely. But still, um, experts have found the hardest hit states by this new variant 
are those with already low vaccine rates. Um, places like Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, um, you know, that would indicate that just unvaccinated people in general are really the biggest factor in this kind of this variant. Now, so that in my mind doesn't place that blame or not necessarily blame, but doesn't place that solely on the shoulders of unvaccinated migrants. You know, anyone who is unvaccinated is a concern at this point because they have the ability to spread the virus further than they ever have before. So in conclusion, um, I really didn't think it was fair to place this blame solely on those individual shoulders. It could be a factor, and it seems that experts agree that uh, there needs to be more of a push to get these individuals, these migrants and asylum seekers vaccinated um, when they're in these facilities, because we know crowded spaces, really good for spreading this virus. Um, however, I don't think it's as big of a factor as Reynolds almost seemed to make it out to be. So I ultimately gave her a C um, because she was correct that um, there are issues with vaccine rollout in that area, but it's not like a lot of these individuals are actually making their way into the country and spreading it further. Um, but would love to hear what the team thinks and love to hear kind of what, what your thoughts and questions were at this time. Thanks, Michaela. I have a couple thoughts. I was just kind of jotting some notes here as you were talking. I mean, okay, so if I am reading this right, um, border agents encountered more than 188,000 people on the border in June. Of those, 178 were such that they could not be allowed into the country, correct? So that was like 94%. Yes, correct. Okay. So, I mean, so how would they transmit it to the rest of the country if they're not being allowed through? My thought is maybe Border Patrol agents, staffing you know, staff who worked at these detention centers, people like that who then go back to their homes and back into their communities when they're off work, you know? And so then it's like, are those people not vaccinated? Mm. Are the mm -hmm. staff and the border patrol agents, what share of them are vaccinated? And I don't think this necessarily needs to be part of the fact check, but I thought that was interesting that, you know, you were talking about how it's, we all have this shared burden of getting vaccinated. And I wonder to what extent those staff are vaccinated, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because I know um, it was a, a U.S. congressman from Texas, a Democrat, actually, who uh, Pat Garrett pointed, uh, he provided a press release from this particular center. And this press release talks about how there were nearly 70 border agents who tested positive for COVID-19 in just the Rio Grande Valley sector, which is the largest sector of the border and it's where we see the most migrants coming to that border. Um, and then we also had 17 agents testing positive in a different sector. So I think that's a really great point. I mean, obviously these border agents are testing positive. Now it's unclear whether they're vaccinated or whether these are breakthrough cases, but just kind of given the high number, it's, it's unlikely that all of them are breakthrough cases, just based on what we know about how well the vaccine works and how this virus works. Um, again, I don't have any data to support that, but that is a really good point. There's obviously other people around these migrants. There are, always, there are obviously other people in close contact with these individuals who also may be unvaccinated and also contributing. And that, you know, that does to some degree support what Kim Reynolds is saying that, you know, maybe they're being exposed to the Delta variant through the people they work with there, you know, but it could be just as easily the infection went the other way. Maybe you've mm -hmm. got those 70 sick 
border patrol agents who maybe infect immigrants, you know, when they're working together, you know, or, or they're, you know, serving them. I don't know. I just thought that was something interesting to think about. Yeah, definitely. And I ultimately didn't include this in the, um, the, the fact check, but Pat Garrett also provided some articles about the Lambda variant, which we're seeing starting to circulate in South America. Um, so it makes sense. Migrants coming up from South America maybe have this variant, but I don't think there's enough data to really show that at this point. Um, so ultimately, I decided not to include it. But if that's something worth diving into in this fact check, let me know. But um, I think at this point, it's more just about the vaccine rate. That's really kind of the key issue at this point. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a little early to really start talking about Lambda when there isn't really the data behind it. Um, and in terms of checking verifiable claims, there just isn't much verifiable data when it's something so early where we're kind of talking almost hypothetically. Well, hypothetically, and these people are coming from South America where that variant is more prevalent. And well, then that means theoretically they could bring it up. So I think it's a hard thing to include there. Um, I'm glad that you um, had the information there from the Dr. James Castillo, the public health authority for um, Cameron County, where if the public health person who's in Texas's Rio Grande Valley, where theoretically speaking, the impact of COVID from immigrants would be heavier because it's right on the border compared to pretty much anywhere else in the country. If he's saying that, no, it's not the biggest source of infection, um, it's maybe one source, I think that really goes a long ways there. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I definitely, um, I thought his input was important to include just because he is a public health official really seeing this firsthand. And if he is saying that this isn't the biggest source or isn't the biggest cause of the spread, then I thought that, I thought that input was, was really valuable. Well, and it seems the primary point of transmission from like immigrants coming here to the rest of, you know, residents and everyone across the country would be from like the border patrol agents or from like staff at these immigrant detention centers. Um, you know, since it's not just like a free for all once you cross the border, like, you know, they're able to test immigrants in these facilities. Like the the article that Pat Garrett sent from Fox News where there were I forget the number of immigrants who tested positive. So like yes, immigrants are testing positive, but when you look at like where they're going and where they're able to spread the virus once they get here, like if they're contained among each other, like they're going to be spreading it to each other and like potentially to, um, you know, mostly unvaccinated staff at those facilities. So, you know, to the point of like how far are they spreading it once they get here? Um, yeah. You know, they have limited points of transmission. Yeah. And I feel like the connotation of this statement is that these migrants are just making a way across the border and kind of wandering willy nilly. Um, and I, that based on the data that I've seen, I haven't found that to be true at all. So they are very kind of specific points of entry or sort of specific points of, of origin for this virus. Um, so yeah, like that, I agree with you, Marissa. I think that that is a really valuable point. Well, and say that there were people who tested positive in the detention centers 
um, you know, once they passed what that 10 day window or whatever, that they wouldn't be contagious anymore. Any of the percentage that are allowed into the country, you know, we have some people in Iowa who are asylum seekers and are going through that process. Um, they, if they did test positive, then they probably were already no, no longer contagious by the time they were allowed to process through into the United States. You know, so, I mean, there's that window of time when they probably would have been still at the detention center, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I feel like local public health officials too, in, in these areas where the detention facilities are, there's still robust contact tracing, I would assume is happening, at least in those communities. So I feel like local public health would be raising more of an alarm as well if they're seeing a lot of cases and, you know, their contact tracing is finding that it's originating from these detention centers a lot of time. I feel like it would be a little bit more of a red flag among public health officials than what we're seeing, or at least what I've been able to find. One other point I was going to make, um, just thinking about these immigrant groups and you saying here just that, um, you know, these are children and families largely, well, children under 12 cannot be vaccinated. So, you know, there's that factor too, that if this group has a lot of kids in it, um, young kids, uh, it's not like they're, you know, not being responsible. They just can't be vaccinated. Right. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, even if they, they wanted to be vaccinated. Um, and I know uh, vaccine hesitancy has also kind of been a big factor, too, when we talk about this. I, I didn't really delve into it at all in um, the fact check because there, there wasn't really any solid data showing, you know, of those 20,000 detainees who took the vaccine, how many more said no or how many had to be convinced, so to speak, to get that vaccine. Um, and I imagine that that will be a big issue going forward. Um, I know the Biden administration is in talks right now to try to get some more robust vaccine rollout at the border um, so that perhaps we might see some movement on that on that front. Yeah, because I mean, it's unlikely given the global vaccine supply levels, you know, for the availability in other countries, it's unlikely that immigrants coming here would already be vaccinated because rollout is so much slower elsewhere. And it's easy to forget that here because, you know, we've all been vaccinated for several months now, um, many of us, but, you know, for them coming here, they haven't had that same opportunity to even access the vaccine. Well, at least if they, um, this sounds probably bad, but it, even if they're deported, at least they could get vaccinated, you know, perhaps here and then go back to their home country safer or, you know, less at risk of that. Um, virus. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious what, what you guys think about um, the grade C. Um, I honestly kind of went back and forth on it, but I sort of landed on C because I felt that there was some truth to this claim, but there's also things that the factors and context that obviously were included, but curious what, what you guys think. Yeah, I agree with the C. I think it's a hard one to evaluate because there are so many factors here. Um, kind of at play, but I think kind of fits that half true, half not that we typically give to a C. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, Reynolds' statement really was just like, you know, this is something we need to look at um, versus like, you know, stating like this is specifically like they were driving this huge surge. So, you know, I think she, based on like how she kind of framed it, 
I think is, is yeah, I would agree with you, Marissa. I think that was ultimately what landed me on a C, just because she wasn't making a claim that this is the reason why the surge is so much worse in Iowa now than it was before. I think just saying, you know, this could be an issue, we should look into it. Um, I, I thought that that warranted, it didn't warrant a downgrade then. Well, great. Well, I appreciate everybody's feedback. I know this was a tough one, and I know this, this sort of, uh, this particular claim from Reynolds got a lot of attention, got a lot of um, got a lot of media coverage, at least from what I saw. So I thought that this was a worthwhile one to look into. So I'm glad we were able to take a look at this and really kind of dive into this particular issue. Um, not very often that the fact checker gets to cover a border issue being a Midwest state, uh, but this was interesting. Um, well, the second time in like six months, because I remember we did at least one other one. That's true. And Governor Reynolds is sort of, you know, in sending the patrol down to the border, too. It's kind of made it more of an Iowa conversation than it has before, I think. Yeah. We're becoming the El Paso Gazette, I guess. <laughs> Have a bureau down south. Definitely. Well, perfect. Well, I know we were talking, um, you know, for next week, for our next fact check, trying to, to be a little bit better than we were before, maybe during our, our little hiatus, <laughs> getting getting a regular fact check going. But we were talking before the fact check uh, about a, or excuse me, we were talking before the podcast started about a potential fact check um, from Abby Finkenauer, who has recently announced that she is running for Chuck Rossley's seat. So I don't know if we want to take a moment to discuss that and kind of see if, if this is something we want to pursue for next week. Yeah, so... As I pull up the tweet here, um, Finkenauer said on July 31st, she was quote tweeting a tweet from Chuck Grassley. The Grassley tweet says, when it comes to inequality, I hope my liberal colleagues will read Saturday WSJ Wall Street Journal ad, which is presumably editorial, a distorted view of wealth inequality. Wisconsin U economics professor will convince you it's nothing like you will about on or will about on in the Senate. And think an hour quote tweeted really down. You're really struggling there, John. I have to get the, <laughs> like, the texting language there, like ABT. <laughs> And then on and then bad energy coming through. <laughs> <laughs> so Ed presumably editorial. So it took me a second there. It's it's almost the weekend. So then Finkenauer quote tweeted that saying, nothing quite like a tweet from a multimillionaire who has owned a house in Washington since I was five years old to give us a real-time example of out-of-touch elitism in this country with an emoji. I'm not going to try describing the emoji. And then she says, want to replace him with a donation link as she's trying to make money or raise money as she begins this run. So a couple of verifiable claims, I think, in this. Um, one is Chuck Grassley, a multimillionaire, and who has he owned a house in Washington since Abby Finkenauer was five years old. So I think they're interested in hearing what the team has to say, but I think there are a couple verifiable claims in there. I think that these statements, um, 
on their own, maybe are not as weighty as some of the others we've looked at. Um, but I do think it gets at, um, you know, Chuck Grassley has represented Iowa for a long time. And I don't think people, people, he definitely tries to pre- present himself as a man of the people. And, um, and I'm interested to know, um, you know, and so this is maybe taps into that nosy side of us, but I, I think, I think it's worthwhile. And it seems to meet our criteria of being verifiable. Journalists, nosy. When does that ever happen? <laughs> Any other thoughts on this claim? I mean, it's a perfect claim for John since, you know, the quote tweet is a, has the word Wisconsin <laughs> in it. <laughs> oh, is that why we spotted this one? <laughs> <laughs> I promise I did not notice the Wisconsin part until <laughs> I was reading it and realized, wait a second, it's my home state. Yeah. So, of but course, no, I way. associate with the other school in Wisconsin not the University of Wisconsin, so. John, will you just say half for a minute? Half. (laughs) (laughs) When he was talking about half true and half false. (laughs) I can talk about bags, too. That's another Wisconsin word. I don't know. I could pull my Mantuak Minute impersonation with keeper moving. So I've got all the... Wisconsin words there. Well, maybe we can save that for a future week. <laughs> Feels like a if there's a really real. short check and we need to fill some time on the podcast, <laughs> we'll enjoy hearing me say Wisconsin things. Maybe I'll myself. quiz the other members of the fact-checking team on how to pronounce various Wisconsin city names. I think that would oh, be Lord. that would be a fun one. <laughs> So I already have a few ideas of which ones. We'll keep that in mind. So nice to have <laughs> culture on this podcast. <laughs> so not just fact checking anymore. Well, perfect. Well, it sounds like we've got some big plans coming down the fact checker podcast. You know, come for the politics, but but stay for the Wisconsin, I guess. <laughs> uh, until next time, uh, our fact checker is edited by Craig Jamolis. Uh, our podcast is produced by Stephen Colbert. Our music is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. Uh, in case you forgot who we are, my name's Michaela. I'm Aaron Jordan. I'm John Steffi. I'm Marissa Payne. And I will fact check you later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.